Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven. You know, there are some days that as a preacher, there are some things you just soon not talk about. Today's one of those days. But you know it's in the Bible. So we need to talk about it. We need to preach it. I was talking to Pastor Webb a little bit about this and and uh, he said, yes, yeah, some years ago he got some criticism from things he said. And so he said, that, he, Thursday, that Thursday, next Thursday night, he said, I got up and I said, I just read from the Bible. And he said, now, that's a lot more explicit than what I did, said. Um, you know, the Bible addresses every issue in life. And, of course, this issue we're talking about this morning has to do with marriage. Now, I'm not going to be conclusive about everything in marriage this morning, obviously. I'm just going to try and stick with the passage. And this isn't a complete uh, message on everything about marriage. But it was an issue that came up at the church in Corinth. And, of course, it's an issue that we face today. And we need to understand. But anyway, so let's began by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. It says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. You may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this man, and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them to abide, if they abide, even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. But a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every man, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be, un- be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. 
Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Art thou called being a servant, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. The title of the message this morning, each for the other. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Father, we thank you that we have your word that, that addresses every issue that we will face in life, everything that pertains to life and godliness uh, we can find in your word. So, Lord, I pray that you help us to um, uh, be willing to submit to it and thereby uh, able to comprehend and understand. For we know, Father, if we don't, uh, aren't willing to submit, we will likely not understand. So, what, Father, I just pray that you help us to have uh, open ears and hearts to obey and apply your word in the every area of our life that you speak to us about this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes people criticize the Bible as profane or that it promotes violence and intolerance because of the things that are written in it. But we must understand that just because it's in the Word of God does not mean that God approved or condoned what is recorded. You know, there are some portions of Scripture that many avoid. Most often it's because of pride, or we are embarrassed, or we don't want to obey it, or we have a misunderstanding of God's perspective on the subject. For example, some think that to never marry, you can be holier than those who marry. But Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and says, The Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from faith. And one of the things he talked about departing from faith is forbidding to marry. Others think that all physical intimacy is bad. But what we need to understand is is God who made and gave us the one flesh relationship. When I talk about, refer to the one flesh relationship, I'm talking about the physical relationship between a man and his wife, or husband and wife. Everything, you know, God made that. Everything that God made, he said, was very good. And he made that. He designed it. But it was also God who set the parameters and boundaries of the physical relationship between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but a man and a woman in, in marriage. Now, as we think about this passage this morning, there's something I want you to keep in mind. There's a few statements here that people like to use to discredit some of the things Paul said. For example, in verse 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. And then verse 10, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. And then again verse 12, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any, and, and what he's meaning there by, you know, he's not saying I'm speaking outside of inspiration. What he's saying is I'm speaking about something that was not given in the Old Testament. When he said, I command not the Lord. You know, cause so a lot of this comes from directly out of the Old Testament, which a lot of the New Testament does, comes directly out of the Old Testament. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about the commandments, said, you know, the, the, the law says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, 
Bless, love those that hate you. Bless them that curse you. You know, he's talking about the spirit of the law. So he was quoting or basing that teaching on something in the Old Testament. There were some things Paul was writing about here that were not specifically addressed in the Old Testament. That's why he says, that's I speak. Or this is what I'm saying, not the Lord. It's all still under inspiration of God. It's all still the word of God. So we need to understand that this morning. Keep that in mind as written. So all of what is written here is inspired. Some of it was not written before, and no previous instruction had been given. Now, the marriage relationship, as we think about this passage, the marriage relationship is relationship of giving of sacrifice and also of bearing fruit, which brings joy and blessing. But what many in our live-for-the-moment culture do not grasp is that fruit-bearing always requires patient labor and sacrifice. If there's going to be fruit, there has to be work first. There's labor. There's sacrifice. There's patience involved. You don't plant a garden and get the fruits tomorrow. There's labor involved. And so it is true in marriage as well. Uh, In marriage, the man and woman are to give themselves to each other in the one flesh relationship. So it's each for the other. You know, the blessing comes from each living and giving for the other as serving the Lord. So we are so several things here this morning as we think about this and look at this passage. First of all, uh, and I've got uh, uh, three, three points and then several sub-points, and I'll try and clarify those as I go. Uh, first of all, marriage and celibacy, in verses 1 through 9, he talks about this, and as we consider marriage and what's considered celibacy, notice, notice, I'm going to notice... Uh, Three things about that. First of all, celibacy is honorable. Uh, he says in verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And then verse 6 through 8, he says, But I speak this by permission and not a commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this man and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. And so he says, you know, to not be married is an honorable thing. But he is not saying that nobody should ever get married. Because what does the Bible say in the Old Testament? What was one of the first commandments God gave Adam and Eve? To be fruitful and multiply and plenish the earth. And if, and if, if nobody ever got married, what would happen to we human beings? We would cease to exist. We'd become extinct. So he is not, he's not saying that. Uh, he's not endorsing that everyone be celibate. For God, again, for God has commanded us to be fruitful and multiply. But the point he's making here in, in context, if you go to verse 26, is this. Notice what verse 26 says. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. Now, so in that context, Paul's saying, I would have that all men be even as myself. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Nobody really knows for sure, but obviously uh, nothing is ever said about Paul's wife. Uh, it's believed that he probably had a wife at some time, and she maybe died because he, it's, it's, 
you know, there's some very strong inferences in the Bible that he was part of the Sanhedrin, and to be in the Sanhedrin required that you be a married man. Because he, he cast his vote. So, so in, in something he had, a, in some religious body of the, children of, Israel, of the nation of Israel, he had a vote against the Christians, and he cast his vote, he said, against them. So it's believed that he was part of the Sanhedrin. You know, he was a who's who of the Jewish believers at that time. And, and of course, being in the Sanhedrin would have required that he, he be a married man. But uh, there's no indication, and, and he says here that, obviously, that he's not married at this point. And he says, you know, it would be better in this present distress if you were like me. Now, what was the present distress? You know, think about what was happening at the time, uh, of, at this time, in the nation of, 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 in the nation of Rome, there was a great persecution that was being started against God's people. And, and I believe that's the present distress that Paul is referring to. So, so he says, you'd be better if you were just like me, not married, not have to be concerned or, uh, or having to... to provide and protect for a wife, if you're going to have to flee for your life to worry about a wife and a family, if you're going to have to be on the run just to survive. Because that's what happened to a lot of the Christians during these early days. And so he said it is, it is honorable, but again, it's not commanded. In fact, I was looking at a statistic, uh, nine out of ten people usually get married. So maybe 10% the most that don't. Um, so it is honorable. But, but don't you notice a second thing, that marriage is desirable. You notice again verses 1 and 2, and then verse 9. My, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. And then verse 9 says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. You see, it is natural for there to be physical desire or physical attraction between male and female. That's as natural as the sun's going to come up in the morning. There's, a, there's an attraction, a desire between the two. The word touch here in chapter, verse 1 means to kindle. To set on fire. There's the idea of arousing the passage. And he said it's good for man not to touch a woman. Now that's talk, not talking about a handshake. We would call it a caress. And so it's good. You know, that's what's wrong with the dance. See, the dance arouses because of the constant touching. Between a man and a woman, it arouses the passions, the physical passions. It breaks down the inhibitions because it involves this constant touching. It, it, is, it is something that it should only be done, and, and notice he says that in verse 2, should be done in, in, a, in a married state, this kind of touching. Uh, uh, and, and a good illustration of this is, in, you remember in Genesis chapter 26, and there was a famine in the land, and, and Isaac went to the land of the Philistines. And Isaac did like his dad did before him. Of course, he had a beautiful wife. He told Abimelech, 
and the people there in the land of the Philistines that she was his sister. And one day, Abimelech looks out his window, and the Bible says that he saw Isaac sporting with Rebekah. Now, they were not playing badminton. He was doing something with her that only would be thought of a married man, a married man and woman would be doing. Touching. And see, it says here, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. You know, again, God has set a boundary to the one flesh relationship. You know, it's not, it's not uh, to be used for fornication. Physical intimacy with the one flesh relationship is for a married man and woman only. That's God's boundary. In fact, Hebrews 13.4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. And what it talks about, you know, again, it's talking about that one flesh relationship. And it says that, that honorable in all means it's held in high honor, it's esteemed, it's especially dear is the meaning there of honorable. So this desire for one flesh relationship is natural. God made us that way. The word to burn in verse 9 means to be inflamed with desire. Better to marry than to burn, Paul said. And so we, and we see in the Bible, there's many scriptures that tell us, of the, speak of this desire of a man for a woman or a woman for a man. Genesis 3.16 says, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And so, marriage is desirable. Most people desire marriage. You know, there's nothing wrong if you don't desire it. But... Most people desire marriage. It is natural. Marriage is also a source of companionship. Genesis 24, 67 says, And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So marriage is desirable. But I want us to notice a third thing as we consider marriage and celibacy, that marriage, there is mutual obligations in marriage, if you notice know verses 3 through 5, it says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her, of her own body, but the husband. Likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, for that Satan tempt you not, for your incontinency. Now, to agree to marriage is a choice that has mutual obligations. You know, Ephesians, some of those are spelled out in other places in the Bible. For example, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands are the love of their wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Ephesians 5.33 says a wife is to reverence her husband. You know, I fear that the problem with many marriages is that they have an unstable foundation. It is emotion-based and not principled-based. We hear this all the time. They fell in love. Fell? Was it an accident? That's what fell is, isn't it? If you fall, it's, it's an accident. And see, that's how we view getting married today. We've, we fall in love. I mean, did you just fall in the loving amber? Or was it a choice? You know, it kind of reminds me of a nursery rhyme I learned as a little kid. A Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That was an accident. If the foundation of marriage is simply an emotional feeling promoted by romance novels, is it any wonder that many marriages end in divorce? Because somewhere along the way, we're going to lose that emotional feeling. Where we don't think we love anymore. Many just live from one emotional high to the next. Now, according to the Bibles, Bible, not Bibles, Bible, the Word of God, love is a choice. It's a choice. It is not always easy. God loved us, but it was not easy for Him to send His Son to die for us. It was a choice. Love is sacrificial. It's giving. There's chastening. There's correction. It is based on doing what is right, not the circumstances in which you find yourself. And there are duties in marriage for a husband and a wife. As I mentioned, I mentioned a couple of those already, but and some of them are spoken. And again, this is not conclusive of everything about marriage, so don't go away from here saying that you know uh, that uh, or seeming that it is. But I want to cover what's here, uh, and and the things that he mentions here is we are to render due benevolence one to the other. Now let me define a few words here. The word render means to discharge conjugal. Duties, and that has to do with the marital relationship. The word benevolence means goodwill, and goodwill means cheerfully, kindness. Uh, for example, Ephesians 6 7 says, With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. See, even on our work, we're to do our work with goodwill, uh, uh, cheerfully, as to the Lord, not to men. We're to serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100, verse 2. And verses 4 and 5 here makes it very clear what is referred to here. It is the performing of marital duties of the one flesh relationship. And husbands or wives are not to deny each other. Let me read it again. Verse 4. Wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. Likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that may ye give yourselves to fasting and prayer, 
and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or your lack of self-control or desire or, 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 or for, for, for the desires of the flesh. And so we are to give ourselves to each other. We're not to deny, our, uh, deny each other the, 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 the duties or the pleasures of that one flesh relationship. In fact, the word defraud here means to rob or despoil. And despoil means to strip of possessions. So to, 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 to deny your spouse that which belongs to him is to strip them of that which belongs to them. To withhold oneself from another. And of course he says here that defrauding can bring greater temptation. And in, in Proverbs 31 speaks to this. In Proverbs 31, 10 to 11, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. In other words, he will be satisfied with her. In the physical relationship with her. And so there are, you know, when we can think about marriage... It isn't just what I get. There are mutual obligations in marriage. In the physical, the one flesh relationship that he, he speaks of here. You know, again, think about the context that this is written. This is a pagan city. These people have been saved out of paganism. They're used to just living to satisfy themselves, their physical desires. The men could go to the, go to the houses of prostitution whenever and how often they wanted. And it was socially accepted. But Paul said, no. It's not for fornication. But there are mutual obligations between a husband and a wife. It works both ways. And you're to find your satisfaction there and not in fornication as we looked at last week. And so we see those mutual obligations of the marriage relationship. And then we also see here the second main point, marriage and conversion. If you notice the verses 10 through 16, and I'll not read that yet, but the, the question that seemed to have arisen at the Church of Corinth is this. If one spouse gets saved and the other doesn't, should I stay married? That seems to be the question. And so as we think about that, notice, notice two things. First of all, divorce happens, but it's not God's design. If you notice verses 10 and 11, And under the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, let not the husband put away his wife. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, in verses 3 through 9, this question was given to the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. And he answered the Pharisees in, in this, and he says, in verse 3, he says, Matthew 19, 3, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read 
that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So he says from, this is the, from the very beginning, this was God's intention, this was God's design, that when you got married, you were glued together for life. But, notice verse 7. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put away her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth committeth adultery. So, you know, from the, God's design was one man, one woman for life. But he says because of the hardness of, of man's heart, and disregarding that, he, he gave this, uh, uh, Moses gave a writing of divorcement to put her away. Uh, there, there are justifiable causes for separation or divorce, but it was not what God intended from the beginning. But it does happen. It is not, as some say, an unforgivable sin. Now, God does hate it. There's a lot of things he hates. A lot of sins that God... In fact, God hates all sin. You know the sin he probably hates the most? The mother of all sins? Pride. But we don't, you know, people don't look down on people because they're proud so much. But it used to be a stigma. And, and, you know, we kind of categorize things, don't we? And so, divorce happens, but again, it's not God's design. Uh, it is God's desire. Secondly, it's, God's, it's the desire of God that we dwell together. Now, look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 again, verse 12. But to the rest speak I. And again, now he's saying, saying here something that was not before commanded in the Old Testament. Speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife. So it is God's desire that we dwell together. Notice it says in verse 12, if they are pleased uh, to dwell, if she be pleased to dwell with him, or, or he be pleased to dwell with her, verse 13. And the word pleased means to consent or to agree to. So if they are, even if one spouse is unsaved, as, as the picture was here at Corinth, there were, there were people that got saved, maybe a wife got saved and a husband didn't. Or a husband got saved and a wife didn't. And so the question is, should I stay married to this unsaved spouse? And Paul says, if they agree to stay, then dwell together. 
Because it brings, and his purpose is here in verse 14, he says, it brings a godly influence in the home that can result in the salvation of a spouse and children. And so, you know, it's God's desire if, if they will dwell together to stay together. Because of that influence. And we know from 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter wrote also about that in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 1 he says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So, so there's, this, there's this opportunity to... Uh, uh, to be an influence for the Lord and a witness for the Lord in the home, uh, 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 even if there's a spouse that's unsaved. You know, one, uh, I read this the other day that a, a lady sought her pastor's counsel about her unsaved husband. And she said, she, I've done all, my part, all, my, all that I in my power to persuade, beseech and persuade him, but to no avail. Her pastor said, you need to talk more to God about him and less to him about God. And that's what 1 Peter 3 is talking about. And likewise, a man who loves God, as, loves as God loves, will draw a positive response from his wife. Love is doing what is right. It is giving. Again, with goodwill. And so... As we consider or think about marriage, where there's a, an unequal yoke, as we would call it, if they be pleased to dwell together, let them dwell together. But he does give a, 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 a qualifier here in verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So, if they cannot dwell together, then they can depart. But it is God's desire that if they can, to dwell together. And then I want you to notice the third thing here. Marriage and customs. So think of verses 17 through 24. It says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man, Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Now, as you think about this, this passage, this, this is a little bit, you know, at first as I read this, I thought it really doesn't, doesn't seem to fit. But, but I think the point Paul's making here is this. That he's using circumcision and servant as an illustration you know, a custom, as we think about a custom, a custom is a habitual practice. It's the usual way of acting in an every given circumstance. 
And the custom in Corinth, and in our world is, if you have difficulty and disagreements, domestic disputes as they call them, just end the relationship. Find another. Or there may be some who say, well, I could serve the Lord better if I was not married. It would be like saying, well, I could serve the Lord better if I was not a Jew. Or I could serve the Lord better if I was not a servant. That's what he's saying here. And he, what he's saying is, God wants you to serve him where you are. Where he has placed you. He wants you to serve him. But some people have this idea, if I could, I could please the Lord better if I changed my circumstances. If you will not serve the Lord where you are, you will not if your circumstances are changed. Our circumstances don't make us. They reveal us. See, Adam and Eve's circumstance, they're running with the devil in the Garden of Eden, did not make them. It revealed who they were. It revealed who they were. You know, God desires that we serve him where he has placed us. And that's the point he's making here. Lay aside all the customs of Corinth, of your pagan society, of going to the, to the, to the, to the uh, uh, temple for your satisfaction. You know, one of the things that, and I know this, is, this sounds awful to us, but, but the saying among the Greeks was, you know, you had a wife for your children, you had a mistress to keep yourself satisfied, and then you had, you had the harlots that you went to at the, at the temple. That was the custom. And Paul's saying here, no. What God, where God has given you, where he has called you, there abide. There abide. We are to please him. We are to strive to please him in our circumstances and allow him to control our circumstances. A good example of this is Joseph. Think about the places, the circumstances that Joseph found himself in. But in every circumstance, he faithfully obeyed and honored the Lord and served whomever was over him. And you know what God did? God made everything that he did to prosper. And then he changed his circumstances. He changed his circumstances. You see, the, 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 the common custom today is, well, if it don't work out, we'll just divorce and try again. You know, that doesn't work out. First, 42% of first-time marriages end, or end in divorce. But second-time marriages, it's 60. And third time, it's 73.
as I said, there are reasons, I believe, for separation and divorce. But it's not God's desire. It's not God's desire. And if possible, we need to learn to work together. And this is really what this passage is all about. It's giving to each other. It's giving to each other. In the previous chapter, in verses 19 and 20, he says that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. And now he's saying, if you're married, you're not your own. You're not your own. Your body belongs to your spouse. Your body belongs to your spouse. And we are to give one to another. Give one another. You see, each is for the other. There's a song that's often sung at weddings. Each for the other and both for the Lord. See, God wants us as his people to glorify God in our marriage and to live to please one another. And it's done by giving one to another. So we need to ask ourselves as married people, as you that are thinking about marriage, what do you expect? What are you looking for? Marriage requires giving. It's not getting. If our focus is getting, we're going to be disappointed. It's giving. It requires sacrifice. And when children come along, it requires more sacrifice. Because that takes a lot of work. But, as in all fruit bearing, there's a lot of work, a lot of labor, but there's blessing and reward that is available later if we just are faithful and serve the Lord, keep his commandments. Each for the other.